But the moment we willingly committed our first sin, we turned to our parents and said, no, we disobeyed. Or something vile came out of our mouth or we had our first evil thought. (laughs) That was the moment we destroyed our relationship with God. Take your Bible, please, and open to the book of Hebrews chapter 8. That's the place where we read the scriptures from. Today I want to talk with you on this subject, getting to know our wonderful God. And folks, the truth is, and let's be honest, we really know so little about God. And I think because of that, some people have imagined some pretty strange things about God. There are many people who think that God is like a big old man up in heaven on, sitting on a throne holding a big club ready to hit people. And, of course, that's a false concept of God, as we shall learn today. But what makes God so mysterious is that He is infinite. There is no end to His wisdom and knowledge and power and wealth and riches and ability and attributes. Now, here in Hebrews chapter 8, we read verses 8 to 12. And and that speaks of a future time for the nation Israel. And it says here in verse 10, For this is the covenant. The word covenant means an agreement between God and man. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So this is particularly for Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And that time has not come yet, but this is also known as the new covenant. Jesus spoke about that, and he called it the testament. This is the new testament in my blood. Remember in Hebrew, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said that. And that's what the table of the Lord is all about. When Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for us, and rose again the third day, he established a new covenant. Israel doesn't have that yet, but they will have it. That's the promise of God. And the bottom line to all this is in verse 11, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. Here's why. For all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Knowing God is one of the greatest things human beings can do, is to get to know God. We're, we're so often in the dark, aren't we? And we do know so little about God. But trying to fully comprehend God is impossible. We'll we'll tell you that right up front. You cannot fully comprehend God because He is infinite. It would be easier for an earthworm to fully comprehend a human being than it would for us to try and fully comprehend Almighty God. I mean, it's impossible. How can the how can a teacup hold the whole, the whole ocean? It, it can't. And so likewise, we cannot know all there is to know about God, but God has revealed some things about himself in the Bible. And we're going to look at three of those things today. Before we go any further, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to know you better. Help us to uh, humble ourselves, set aside maybe our own thoughts and preconceived ideas and to look at what you have written and help us to know you better. 
Our Father, it's always our prayer that if there's anyone here today or watching online who does not yet know you as personal Lord and Savior, that today would be their day. Holy Spirit, please open their eyes and grant them faith in Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, I'd like you to turn now in your Bible to the right to the book of 1 John chapter 4. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, the Pew Bible in front of you, if you go to page number 1268, 1268, you'll probably get there before the rest of us. But 1 John chapter number 4. 1 John chapter number 4. Okay, when you have it, I want you to help me out and read verse number 8 out loud with me. We'll do it all together. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 8. Let's read it now out loud together. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now repeat those last four words out loud again. For God is love. This is the first thing that we learn about God. That he's a loving God. God is love. And because God is a loving God, because he has a heart of love, this reveals three aspects about God. The first one is because God loves, he provides. He provides. That's what God does. God gives good things to people all over the world. Life itself is a gift from God. Pastor Tim and Mrs. Lydia there, They're rejoicing over a new life in their home, a new little baby. No one comes into this world and no one goes out without God's knowledge and permission. God is sovereign and life belongs to him. Scientists will never be able to recreate life in a test tube. Life is a gift of God. That's very important. But God also gives food to eat. He gives water to drink. He gives shelter to live in. He gives health. He gives air to breathe. He gives clothes. He gives jobs. He gives families and so much, much more. God is a loving God and therefore he gives. Now sometimes someone will look at the poorer nations of the world that don't have many of these things or perhaps nations that are experiencing severe famine or drought and starvation And some people will accuse God of not providing, not loving and not providing. But we need to ask ourselves, is it God's fault? Is it God's fault that some nations don't have enough? Some nations have plenty of food. The food is walking around on four legs in the form of animals. But in some of those nations, their own religious beliefs prohibit them from eating the animals God has provided. Some nations refuse to accept help from other nations. They're too proud. And therefore, their people suffer greatly. God is certainly not at fault in any of this. Some nations have extremely poor sanitary habits. And because of that, many of their people get sick. Now, is any of this God's fault? Obviously not. God provides. He is a loving God, therefore he provides, but also God is patient. Because he's loving, he not only provides, but he's also patient. God is not an old man up in heaven sitting on a throne with a big club, ready to kabong people. He is not like that. 
By no means. God is long-suffering toward us. He is patient. God is willing to give men time. Time to repent. He's willing to give men time to learn from their mistakes. He's willing to give men time to fix their dilemma. Listen, if God were not patient, if He were impatient, He would have destroyed us a long time ago. In fact, I kind of think He would have destroyed the human race probably after the first day when our original parents committed the first sin, when Adam and Eve uh, did what they were not supposed to do and they sinned. But God is loving. He's patient. He's providing. He's patient. But also God is forgiving. This is perhaps, well, at least in my opinion, one of the most amazing things about God is His desire to forgive people their sins. Now, it's not automatic. It's not like the whole world is forgiven. But there is forgiveness. Now, I think if anyone understands about sin and the consequences of sin, it has to be God the Creator. He's got to know more about it than anyone. Anyone at any time. God's ear is not dull that He cannot hear the faintest whisper of our hearts. When we turn to God and when we ask forgiveness for our sins, for our wrongdoings, God is always willing to forgive us our trespasses. Now, God is love. And this brings us to our second main point. I mentioned that there were three things I wanted to deal with. And the first is God is love. Now, the second one is God is holy. God is holy. And for this, I'd like you to turn back to the Old Testament to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6. Isaiah, chapter 6. Now, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 730. 730. Isaiah, chapter 6. This chapter is about a very special time when Isaiah, the prophet, came into the presence of the Lord. And it begins, uh, let's see, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. But we want to get to verse 3. And here we have uh, some of the very special angels in heaven. Now read out verse 3 out loud with me, please. Here we go. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy. Now, what is holiness? Holiness means something very sacred. It's set apart from sin. It's set apart from anything that is not 100% pure and perfect in the eyes of God. That, that gives us an idea of holiness. In fact, to help us understand that God is a holy God, these angels came. Now, they are called a seraphim. It's a different classification of uh, angel, but they're basically angelic beings. And it, it's not that they cried, holy is the Lord. No. Look at it again. Read it with me, those three words out loud. Holy, holy, holy. To help us understand, I think, how holy God is, these angels cried out holy three times. Folks, this means God is not only a holy God, He's a thrice holy God. He is far more holy than what our minds can possibly fathom. 
We might have a, a concept of something that might be holy or sacred. God is far more. Far exceedingly more. He's a thrice holy God. Righteousness is what God does. But holiness is what God is. His very nature is holy. Now we've learned earlier, God is love. We, we read that in the Bible. His nature is love, but His nature is also holy. Remember, it's what God is. God's holiness is awesome. It's like a, an awesome power. It's like a pure, powerful, burning fire, more brilliant than the noonday sun. And we all are getting a taste of that, aren't we? With temperatures, you know, into the 30s. And by the way, parts of the world have got it in the 40s. And I've seen as high as 46. You know, people die in that kind of weather. It's amazing, the power of the sun. And God's holiness is more powerful than the sun. He is infinite. Now, in contrast to his holiness, is us. <laughs> I hate to say it, but it's true. In contrast to God's holiness is our sin. Our evil thoughts, our wickedness. We're, we stand in stark contrast to God. You know, it was man's sin, original sin, that put the big distance, the gulf between God and man. You know that. Now, you remember that story. We're, we're all taught it on our original parents, Adam and his wife Eve. And they committed a sin, a horrible sin, a terrible sin. A sin so bad that it absolutely tore the fabric. A sin so, so evil that it separated God and man by this huge distance, this huge gulf. And you remember what the sin was, right? It was murder. It was absolute murder, wasn't it? Well, no, it wasn't murder, come to think of it. It wasn't a murder they committed. Oh, I know, it was adultery. It was terrible, wicked adultery. Oh no, wait a minute. It wasn't adultery because Adam and Eve were the only two people alive at, at that time. No. What was it? What was that sin that Adam and Eve committed? It was what? Disobedience. They disobeyed God. Have you ever disobeyed? Have you? We're pretty good at it. Oftentimes we'll disobey and we don't even realize we've done it. We're so good at it. We disobey. I'm just being honest, folks. And that was the sin that plunged all of humanity into what it is today. It was man's sin. And that's why God seems so distant to many people. They know that God is out there. They just wish they knew more. And many people throughout the ages, when they pray, they don't know how to pray. You know, maybe they have a little book and they read a prayer and to them that's pray. Hey, can you imagine, husbands, can you imagine what your wives would think of you if every time they wanted to have a conversation with you, you had to take out a little book, turn the page and, and read what's there to your wife. And they said something, asked you a question, and you had to flip through the pages I mean, they, they'd hit you with a rolling pin or something, wouldn't they? They don't want that. No one wants that. 
God doesn't want that. He doesn't want us to take out a little book, you know, let's see, what do I say to God? But many people don't know what to do. They don't know how to pray. They put their hands together and they say things like, God, are you out there? Are you there? Did you just hear me? Can you, can you see me? God, hello? Do you even know what I'm going through? And that's how a lot of people pray. Because they don't know how to pray. And that's sad, but that's true. That is humanity. That's our problem. Personal sin destroyed the closeness that our original parents first had with God. Sin has blinded our eyes. Now, we've learned God is holy. And because He's holy, what does that tell us about God? Well, it tells us first that God alone knows what sin is. He's the only one, folks, because we're blind. We're blind to the stuff. We sin and we don't even realize it. I've been around people who've used the Lord's name in vain. You know, they say J.C. flippantly, right? And I have challenged them on it. And I said, why do, you, why do you say that? And they look at me and say, say what? What did I say? What did I say? They don't even realize it. I know someone in my neighborhood, and when he gets talking, every second or third word is the F word. He doesn't even hear himself. Unsaved, darkened minds, blinded eyes. That's the world we live in, folks. But God, and God alone, is the only one capable of telling us what sin is. We're too blind by sin in order to see the full extent of sin. And we say, well, sin, well, that's murder. That's where you, you murder someone. That's a sin. And that's, that's true. That's true. But did you know that it's a bit more than that? You see, Jesus is God in the flesh, he came to earth and he told us these words in Matthew chapter 5. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. You see what Jesus is saying? You don't have to take a gun and kill someone to be in trouble with God. Just have a hard thought in, in your head toward them. I wish he were dead. Well, in the eyes of God, that's a sin. Wow. We're blinded by sin. And we might say, well, adultery, that's got to be a sin, right? Well, you're right. But again, it's more than that. Jesus, in the same sermon... Matthew 5, he said, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, now this is God in the flesh telling us, I say unto you, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Have you ever looked upon a person, another person with lust? Who hasn't? Huh? Who hasn't at some time said or thought, oh, I wish you were dead. Who, who hasn't at some point looked on someone with a, a lustful thought? I mean, that's everyone. That's human nature. 
That's us. God tells us that bad thoughts are sinful and everyone has them. And so obviously God sees things a little different than how we see things. Can we agree on that? That he's a little smarter than us and he sees things that are wrong and we don't see it. We're blinded by sin, but God is not blinded by sin whatsoever. He is 100% holy and we are not. We're far from it. The holiness of God brings us brings about the justice of God, which is why God must punish sin as He alone sees fit. He's the only one capable. All of our human courts, all of our human judges all over the world are human. And they get blinded and blindsided and they make mistakes. But God makes no mistake. He is the only one capable of dealing with sin. God is qualified to measure out the proper amount of justice upon sin and he is able to do it without malice, without partiality, without prejudice. We often see this in life when someone gets what's coming to them, right? We see some little stinker who has done something they shouldn't, you know, and they did it with malice and we say... Your day's coming and their day comes and we see there it is. What goes around comes around. And of course, the Bible calls that the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so we see that happening in life. We don't see it all all the time. God sees it all the time. We see it some of the time, but we do see it. When what goes around comes around. You know, just wait, your day's coming kind of thing. God does punish sin. But wait, there's more. (laughs) The holiness of God tells us that he, He alone knows all about sin. He alone must punish sin. But God must finally condemn unrepentant sinners to hell. Condemnation is a final act of divine justice. Punishment is one thing, but condemnation is the final blow. All people, all humans are sinners. That's true, the Bible tells us. For all have sinned. That's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A man or woman says, well, not me, I've never sinned. (laughs) Well, it sounds like you just committed another one. You just lied. Either that or you're really out to lunch. Do you think you're as perfect as God? Well, no. Well, then you've blown it. Have you ever committed one little sin? Well, yeah, maybe one in my whole life, right? How many pins does it take to pop your balloon? Just one. Only takes one pin to make us bleed, right? Unless you happen to be dead. Dead people don't bleed. You know that, right? When they're dead, they don't bleed. It's when you're still alive, that's when you bleed. One pin is all it takes, by the way. And so the Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in this life, God does punish sin in various ways. But God has also created a heaven above. And he's created a hell below. And men and women are are either saved through Jesus Christ... And they're on their way to heaven or they are lost in sin and they are on their way to hell. Jesus is God. He came to die for our sins. 
all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus told people to repent. That was his biggest message, was repent. And this, folks, brings us to our third main point about God today. Now, we've learned two things so far. What's the first thing we learned about God? God is love, right, first thing. And that has ramifications. The second thing, and we just learned it, is God is what? Holy. And that also has ramifications. But now here's the third thing I'd like to share with you today about God. And this, this one is really, when you understand it, it is really amazing. But God is also a Savior. Now for this, I'd like you to go back to the New Testament to 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 1235. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. I want you to see this with your eyes. I want you to see it. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to read together verse 10. Okay? So we'll do that out loud. Verse 10, chapter 4. Let's read now together. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. Now, right away we see that God is a Savior. He's a Savior of all men, but especially of those that believe. God is a Savior, whether men believe it or not. He is still a Savior. I'm a married man, whether people believe it or not. It doesn't matter what they believe. The truth is, I'm a married man. Happily married, too. God is a Savior, but He's a Savior mainly of those that believe, because there's a lot of people that don't believe. So He's not a Savior of everyone. He's really a savior of them that believe. Now, same page, but look at chapter 3 and verse 16. Chapter 3.16. So, same page if you're using the Pew Bible. 1 Timothy 3.16. Read it together with me now, please. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Jesus is God. He is the only one that fits that description. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is fully God, fully man. Now, the interesting thing here on this third point is why, why would God, a hundred percent, holy, holy, holy God, why would he want to get his hands dirty? That's, that's the big question. God is already a creator of life. Yes. He's already a sustainer of life. If he ever took his hand off the world, we'd dissolve instantly. God is already a loving God, but He's a holy God. He's 100%, or we might say 110% holy. No one and nothing is as holy as God. And the question keeps coming back. 
Well, why would God want to get his hands dirty? Because in order to be a savior, you've got to get your hands dirty. Right? The president has these bodyguards. When someone pulls a gun on the president, one of these bodyguards throws himself in front of the president and takes the bullet. He was the president's savior. Why would God want to be a savior? Why would he want to get his hands dirty and be our savior? And the answer is found in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and go to hell. But have everlasting life. That's the only reason. The only reason that makes that we can possibly understand. God loves us. He loved us so much. That he was willing to die for us. Now according to God's justice. Sin must be paid for. Sin is a crime. It has to be atoned. It has to be paid for. It's like a debt we owe, but we cannot afford to pay. Five years ago in 2017, a painting by Leonardo da Vinci was sold to a private owner for $450 million U.S., now, it wasn't the Mona Lisa. It was another painting. But still, a painting by Leonardo da Vinci sold for $450 million to a private owner. Supposing you went and visited that man in his home. And supposing you got angry. And in a fit of rage, you destroyed his $450 million painting. And then, after you calmed down, you said, what have I done? How are you going to pay for your damage? How are you going to pay the man $450 million? How are you going to do it? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to guess you don't have $450 million U.S. This is only a guess. Am I right? Anyone here happen to have 450 million U.S.? I don't know where that man got it from. He must have been some kind of multi-billionaire. And there's a lot of them in the world. But you and I, ordinary people, it's like that toward God. When we realize what our sin has done, Oh, you may never have pulled out a gun and pulled the trigger. But you've had enough thoughts to put a thousand people in their graves. You may have never gone into a house of ill repute. But you've had a, enough thoughts to make, you know, Samson look like a school kid. Now, he was a, he fooled around a lot, that guy Samson, you know that. You and I commit sin all the time. And it's only when we realize 
what have I done? You need to have a what have I done moment in your life to really start to understand the consequence of sin. Sin is serious business. Sin is what has separated us from God. Sin must be paid for. There's a heaven above, there's a hell below. Men and women are either saved through Jesus Christ and on their way to heaven, or they're lost in sin on their way to hell. Did you know that the moment you, you and I willingly committed our first sin, and we must have been pretty young at the time, but the moment we willingly committed our first sin, we turned to our parents and said, no, we disobeyed, or something vile came out of our mouth, or we had our first evil thought. <laughs> that was the moment we destroyed our relationship with God. And since that day, every time we've sinned, we've only just further ruined ourselves. And to make matters worse, listen to this. We can't even fix the problem ourselves. It's possible for someone in the world to destroy that $450 million painting and then write a check for $450 million. There are people in the world that could do that. Not me, but there are many people that could do that. But listen... This is the worst possible news, folks. We've destroyed our relationship with Almighty God, our Creator, and we can't even fix the problem ourselves. Here's why. Because we're like a dead man whose heart just stopped. And now the dead man thinks that he's going to pull out the defibrillator machine and grease up the paddles and put the paddles on his own chest and jolt himself back to life. Can a dead man do that? Can a man whose heart just stopped, can a dead man grab hold of the defibrillator paddles and put them on himself and jolt himself back to life? Have you ever heard of such a thing? Is it even possible? No. Dead men can't bring themselves back to life. They need help. They need the medics, the paramedics, the doctors. They need people to come in and do it for them because they can't do it themselves. And that's our problem. We can't fix our sin problem because we're dead in sin and trespasses. We've, we've had a what-have-I-done experience in life and we've destroyed our relationship with God and we cannot fix it. It is a price far beyond what we can afford we're hopeless. We're doomed. Dead people cannot. They are not able to resuscitate themselves. They need help. And so do we. We can't save ourselves. We need help. And this is why God chose to be a Savior. Because He knew we couldn't do it ourselves. Listen to me. If all you and I had to do to get to heaven was to get baptized or take communion if all you and I had to do to get to heaven was, you know, try and be a nice person, do the best you can, then would you answer me this question? Why then did God have to leave his throne, leave his glory, and come to earth and get his hands dirty and die and shed his blood on the cross? if all we had to do was go get baptized. I mean, if that's how people get to heaven, no problem. 
we'll get out the, the guns and we'll, we'll force people to get baptized if that's what will get people to heaven. Hey, if all, if all you have to do to get to heaven is have communion, no problem. We'll force you to have communion for your own good so you get to heaven. But that's not how people get to heaven because we're dead. We can't fix the problem ourselves. We need a Savior because God knew we couldn't do it ourselves. So God came to earth to do the saving for us and his name was Jesus. And Jesus died for our sins upon an old rugged cross. He shed his sinless blood for our sins because that is what divine justice required. It required the shedding of blood. Jesus was buried and rose from the dead the third day and Jesus is fully alive from the dead in bodily form today. And Jesus now offers full and free forgiveness and salvation to whoever wants it. It's not for a certain class of people. It's not just for wealthy or just for poor or just for, you know, white, brown, black, red, whatever skin color. It, it, it's not just for a certain race or just for a certain time. It's a gift from Almighty God offered to all the human race. That's the beauty of it. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Forgiveness and salvation are a free gift that God offers to whoever will take it. Because God is a Savior. Aren't you glad? God says in the Bible, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. God created a heaven above, He created a hell below, and either men are saved and through Jesus Christ and they're on their way to heaven or they remain lost in their sins and they're on their way to hell. And every, That's why every man, woman, and young person needs to be saved. Many people here today have been saved. Well, how does that happen? Well, they came in childlike faith to Jesus Christ. They admitted that they were lost sinners on their way to hell. I'm telling you how it happens. This is how it happens. And they asked Jesus to forgive their sins and to save them from hell, to come into their heart, to be their Savior and their Lord. The word Lord means boss. If you're going to be saved, you're going to need a new boss. And his name is Jesus. But I got good news for you. He's the best boss. There is no better boss than Jesus. You know, it happened to me back in 1975. I finally realized I knew about Jesus. I knew I heard his name. Uh, he was out there, whatever. But I did not know him personally. A high school friend told me that Jesus Christ was his best friend. And I thought my high school friend was on drugs when he said that. But he wasn't. He was as absolute, stone-cold, sober as you are today. He was telling me the truth. But I didn't understand 
But in 1975, I did. And I finally realized I needed this Savior too. And I received him as my Savior. And I, I, what did I do? I did what millions and millions of people have done down through the years. I repented of my sin and I asked Jesus to save me. And that's how any man, woman, or young person can start to really know God. It's through Jesus Christ. Well, it's time for us to pray. Can I invite you to your feet? Let's have a word of prayer together. Let's stand together and, and we'll pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.